Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're looking at verses 25 through 32. This is our life. There's an app for that teaching series. And this morning or this weekend's title is New Lifestyle. You guys stand cool? How many don't have to stay cool because you, you are cool? 24-7. I can relate to that. How about all that record-breaking temperatures across the nation that everybody else is experiencing? We have this every summer, don't we? A little hotter over there because of the humidity, but uh, it's good to be here. How many have already gone on vacation? Some of you have already gone on vacation? Okay. How many are still planning on going on vacation? How many of your life is one big vacation? Okay, right on. Okay. Hey, we got a great study here this morning. Grab your sermon notes out. You can follow along. Um, a few years ago when I graduated from high school, <laughs> why do you guys laugh? Maybe I should say a few decades ago. How many would agree with that? That would be more accurate. In fact, to be more accurate, uh, in 2014, 2014, I will have graduated 40 years ago. Some of you are looking like, wow, I had no idea that dude was so old. How many, it makes it sound like I'm really, 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 really old. I should probably kill over dead right now. Um, yeah, that's pretty old, but, uh. I was tickled to death when I graduated from high school. Still remember it just like it was yesterday. And I had some phenomenal plans in store for my life. I was going to go places, do things, achieve, accomplish, acquire the world. And I had things all charted out, all planned out. I dated a few gals, but uh, marriage was not even on the radar. Why would you want to do that? I mean, okay. There was, uh-oh, he's married too, isn't he? I can see we're going to have some fun this morning. And so I said, why would anybody want to do that? And so I had my plans, and I was going to buy me a brand new Ranger XLT truck. As soon as I graduated, I did that and get my career on path and buy me a house. And I probably, I was thinking about maybe getting married when I was in my later 20s, if, if that became available to me. And uh, I was 19 years old teaching a Bible study group in the church that I had grown up in. And in walked this knockdown, gorgeous girl that swept me off of my feet. And uh, I started pursuing her from that point on. And the more I got to know her, the more that I realized that she's not only beautiful on the outside, but unbelievably beautiful on the inside. And uh, a year and a half later, we got married. It was about a month before I turned 21. And uh, that pretty much wrecked all my plans. And I was tickled to death because you could have all those plans because when I uh, met her, it changed my plans. It changed my lifestyle. It changed my life. And that is a dim glimpse of what happens to you when you encounter the Lord Jesus Christ. You might have all these great plans you want to achieve and accomplish and acquire all sorts of things and go here and go there. And yet when you encounter him, came over. Game over. New lifestyle. New plans. 
And uh, as we have been looking at this teaching series, we're now on the back half of the book of Ephesians, and the first three chapters talk about this, this being captivated by the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And now we see the difference that it makes. Chapters 4 through 6 talks about the difference it makes in our lives. As you've heard me say probably many times, but I said it last week, uh, St. Augustine put it this way, the key to life change is not the acts of the will, but the loves of the heart. That the Christian life is not a morally restrained will, have to, got to do these things, but it's a supernaturally transformed heart that has been smitten by the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is and what he has done that ruins you for anything else. Game over. New plans, new lifestyle. I mean, and it's, it's unbelievable. Why would you ever want to go back to any other kind of lifestyle or new, uh, other life? So, so he, he gives us this, this new kind of life. We talked about that, and in fact, in verse uh, verse 17, he said, you must no longer live as unbelievers do. And then he goes on to talk about the difference that it makes and how we are too. And there were three components of life change. You guys remember? Put off, put on, think differently. And so he talked about that. And, and today we look at five case studies of what that means and how we do that. And so if you are someone who is following Jesus Christ, your heart has been ravished by his beauty, captivated by his glory, you have a whole new lifestyle. This is what that lifestyle looks like. Let me just quickly go over the putting off, putting on, and then the transformed thinking that happens as a result of that. In fact, if you have your Bibles open, you can see it's actually from verses 22 through 24. We'll pick up our reading in verse 25 and read to the end of the chapter. But putting off the old self means to stop looking to anything other than God for your deepest satisfaction. You just you stop doing that. And then you put on the new self, which means to make God your ultimate object of worship because he is our most satisfying reality. To be renewed in the spirit of your minds means this, means living for God's glory. No longer are you making life about you or the pursuit of anything other than God, but you live for his glory Motivated by God's love according to God's word. Now, all of this has to do with idolatry. How many remember last weekend we talked a lot about idolatry? It's an important topic, and really that's what has to be rooted out. When we say put off the old self, we're saying, hey, we've got to recognize the idols in our life. In fact, a phrase that I said I think it's important for you to remember is this. Pay attention to your uncontrollable or inconsolable emotions and you'll discover hanging from the roots of them are your counterfeit gods. Now think about that just for a minute. We'll just, kind of, just a little bit of review from last week. So when you see the emotional meter peg out, whether it be anxiety, anger, or depression, we're going to talk about that. It's because you have overly attached your heart to something at that moment is being threatened, blocked, or lost. It's, it's an idol. It's idolatry. And, and idolatry, it can be a good thing that has become an ultimate thing in your life. Your meaning, your purpose in life, your significance, your acceptance, other than God. It's something that becomes more important to you than God. Um, and so pay attention to your uncontrollable or inconsolable emotions and you'll discover hanging from the roots of them are your counterfeit gods. And then here's the next thing. Life change happens 
when you identify your idols and begin to look to Christ to meet the need that you are trying to have met through the idol. Does that make sense? So when I find my heart and I'm experiencing these inordinate emotions that seem to be dominating my life, at that moment I've got to say, wait, 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 wait. It's obvious that I'm trying to get my sense of security or significance or acceptance from this idol. It can be it could be any number of things. It can be a marriage relationship, it can be a job, job performance, it can be kids, how your kids having kids, how your kids turn out, any number of things. And so as you identify that idol, you begin to say, hey, wait a minute, I'm trying to get something out of this that ultimately only can be found in Jesus Christ. And so you begin to look to him to meet those deeper needs, and then you're able to therefore respond appropriately to those issues of life. Not that these things are are bad things. They can be very good things, but they're never to be God things because then they control you. As I said last week, is that whatever becomes the object of our worship, it, it shapes our life. Worth, whatever we put worth on, it shapes us. And so that's what putting off, putting on, being transformed in our thinking is all about. And we talked about how if you want to get rid of the hurts, habits, and hang-ups of your life, you've got to walk through those, those three components of life change. So we've got five examples this morning. That's where we're headed. Let's pray, and then we're going to dive into it. This is what we're going to do. We're going to kind of break this group up. We're going to kind of do like a little small group. If you're not involved in a small group, this is a little bit of kind of a small group taste. And we're going to have like five sections in here. So I'm going to give you an opportunity with each of these five different case studies to discuss the answers that I'm going to see if you can come up with of of what it means to put off, put on, and think differently with each one. This will make sense as we walk through it. So would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Let's dive, and then we'll dive into our, our text. God, we are delighted to be here today. We love you. We are amazed at your love for us. Glorious Father, through our faith, In the sacrificial love of your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, what he did for us on the cross, we have become your beloved children in whom you are well pleased. That is amazing. Positionally, we are sinless and perfect in your eyes, but practically, we know each and every one of us, we have a long ways to go. So God, we pray that you would empower us to no longer walk or live as unbelievers do, that you would continue to transform our lives And that we would learn how to put off the old self, to stop looking to anything other than you for our deepest satisfaction. That we would put on the new self, making you our ultimate object of worship because you are our most satisfying reality. And that we would be renewed in the spirit of our minds, living for your glory, motivated by your love, according to your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Take a look at our text. Here's where we're going with this. Hey, uh, Jason, push just a tad. It seemed like this kind of dropped a bit. So I want them to stay awake. I'm going to come out there and make sure you guys stay awake this morning. So I don't want to have to use too much of my uh, vocals. So here we go. Let me read the text. Therefore putting, uh, therefore putting away falsehood. And each of these, you're going to see something to put off, put on, and then be renewed in your thinking. Therefore, putting, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor, 
doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Remember last week we said, when is a thief no longer a thief? Some of you said, when he quits stealing, and I said, no, it's got to be more than that. When he quits stealing, he gets a job and he starts giving. That's what we see in that text. So if you're struggling in your life with, as I said, a hurt habit or hang-up, it's usually sometimes we try to put off something, but we fail to put something else on in its place, and, and our mind hasn't been renewed so that that can be sustained over the long haul. So if you find yourself, you keep going back into the old habits, it's because it's about putting off, putting on, thinking differently. And that's what he's showing us here. He's just kind of walking through, through these steps. And then verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. So here's, here's what we got. You got some fill in the blanks. I'm going to ask the guys that are doing the uh, PowerPoint not to put the answers up there too quickly. And I'm going to give you guys a chance to see if you can fill in the blank. Here's the first one, five examples of this new lifestyle. Now, let me remind you, being precedes doing. It's not the doing of these things that somehow you become a Christian. You are a Christian, therefore you do these things. Does that make sense? So it's out of this abundance of a heart that has been smitten by the beauty of Christ and all of who you are. Your identity is in Jesus, and as a result, you're going to put off, put on, think differently. And all he's doing is showing us what that looks like, giving us five examples. And all of us will fit into some of these examples, if not all of them. But there will also be other things in your life that you're going to want to work through of putting off, putting on, thinking differently. So here's the first one. I'll read it, verse 25. I want you to turn to the people next to you after I read it and see if you can identify what is it that he's saying that you should put off, what should you put on, and what should be different about your thinking. How should you have that renewed thinking? So here it is, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. One of another. There you go. Go ahead. Discuss it with the folks sitting around you. What are you supposed to put off? How would you fill in the blanks on your notes? Put off, put on, think differently. I'm going to come out there and I'm going to ask you the questions. We'll probably start with this group right up here in the front to answer it. The rest of you guys can help out. So here we go. Small group time. Okay, you guys, you guys figuring that one out? Okay, here we go. How many are discussing what we're supposed to be discussing right now? Okay. How many were talking about something else? That's what I thought. I heard your discussion all the way up here. Ushers, get this young lady. Okay, so uh, what do you guys think? What, is, what are we supposed to uh, put off right here? Put off the lies. Okay, good answer. Did you, is that what you guys came up with? Put off lies, falsehood. How many came up with that? Okay, we're reading the same book, aren't we? That's good. Okay, so we put off falsehood. What are we supposed to put on? Truth. I put speak the truth. You can put that truth or speak the truth. And why? What should be the renewed thinking? What should motivate this? What's the thinking that would go along with this? Family? Members? Is that what you guys came up with? Love for one another? Yeah. 
right on. Community. How many were thinking along those lines? Okay, right on. So let me, let me walk you through this. For each one of these, this is what we're going to do. We'll talk about it. We'll see if you can understand what he's talking about here with the putting on, putting off, or put off, put on, and then uh, renewed thinking. And then I'm going to give you just some, some commentary, my own personal commentary as it re- results, as it relates to this. I gave you some cross-references to kind of help you to see that. So, you know, you, you didn't realize you are going to have to think this morning, did you? When you came here, you know, just want to sit back, relax, maybe fall asleep. You can't do it today, okay? I'm going to keep you awake. And so here's some thoughts on this. So he says, put off falsehood, put on speak the truth, renewed thinking, members of, of one another. By the way, let me ask you this. Anybody can answer this. Is that if I'm being, having a lot of pretense in my life, wearing masks, and I've got falsehood, which, by the way, we all do it, why would I do that? What would be the idol underneath that? There's some form of idolatry that's going on. What the th- world thinks you should be. Good answer. Good job. Anything else come to mind? So what I'm doing is I'm, I'm elevating what people think about me above what God thinks about me. Is that not true? If I'm doing the pretense and trying to look bigger than what I really am. Your bigness is found in the cross. I mean, why, you can't get any bigger than that. You can't get any more value than that. You can't get any uh, greater sense of identity than that, that. But we forget that. And therefore, when I'm around people, I'll tend to kind of wear the mask and pretend. And I don't want people to really know who I am. And, oh, and that's because there's idolatry going on. The root of that is idolatry. There's something going on, that pretense. Uh, let me uh, continue on here. You were created for community, an indispensable part of human flourishing. You were created for community, to connect with people at a deep level. And uh, it's, it's an indispensable part of your, your flourishing in life. More than anything else, God uses people to heal people. I gave you some cross-references there, Genesis two eighteen, It says, it is not good for the man to do what? To, to be alone, to be alone. When you isolate yourself and you and you kind of insulate yourself from others, that's not healthy. He's saying that is very, very unhealthy. So in your family, in this church family, you need other people. They need you as you open up your life. That's the point. He says you got to put off that stuff, put on truthfulness, because you're members of one another. Verse 25, Genesis 2.25, another cross-reference there, that they were both naked and they felt no shame. That's amazing. Uh, they were physically n- naked. We're not talking about that. We're talking, it was much deeper than just a physical. It was an emotional, spiritual, relational nakedness. And they felt no shame. And, and here's what, what I uh, believe that he's, he's talking about here is that to experience community at that deeper level that the Bible wants us to, it is to know the joy of uh, is, is to know the joy of knowing and being known, of loving and being loved. And you can only be completely loved if you are completely known. If you come into a group and try to get close, but you're wearing a mask every week, they can only love your mask. They can't actually love you until you pull your mask back and you start revealing who you really are. And then they can start loving you. A lot of times people go into groups and they say, oh, I don't feel very loved by them. What kind of games are you playing? Are you playing games? Are you just a lot of pretense going on? What's happening? And so that's what he's talking about here. To experience that level of community requires uh, vulnerability and trustworthiness. Even in a marriage relationship, that transparency is necessary to to cultivate trust. Uh, 
falsehood creates all sorts of distrust. Distrust then creates this, uh, this dismemberment, this dismembering one another, driving wedges, keeping each other at a distance. You can only be completely loved if you're completely known. Falsehood dismembers. Now, how do we get close to people? Because, man, I've gotten close to people before and gotten hurt. Man, it hurt bad. How many can relate to that? Every one of us here. This is how you do it. I believe it's in the first three chapters of Ephesians. Since we have the assurance of God's love, no matter what, no matter what, we have the assurance of His love. We don't have to pretend to be more than what we are. We can live authentic lives. We can hear the truth. We can speak the truth in love to one another. We can create this community that would create human flourishing within our own lives. And that's what brings healing to one another. That's what He's wanting. And so, put off falsehood, speak the truth. Why? You're members of one another. Get rid of the idolatry of being concerned about what others think about you. Be open, be honest. That's where the healing is. Okay, here's the next one. This will be for this group right back here. This is more of the troubled group right back over here. Okay, you guys are more of the troublemakers because uh, Joe Bridgewater's in this group. I'm kidding. So, you guys agree, huh? Would you guys agree? Yeah, okay. Because all of you are in part of his group. Okay. No, you're not? No. Okay. So here we go. Here's the next one. Verses 26, 27. By the way, this next one, and these are all interrelated and progressive. This next one is where we really get messed up. And it's because we've got so much pretense going on in our life. We get, start trying to get close to people. Then we get hurt. We don't know how to respond to it. And it creates major problems. Verses 26 and 27. Let me read them. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Or some translations say, do not give the devil a foothold. So, so turn... And talk to the people next to you within your group there and find out what are you supposed to put off, what do you put on, and then how are you to have renewed thinking. Okay, how are you guys doing back over here? Bridget's got the answers? She's the smart one here? Okay. Okay, so you guys tell me, what did you guys come up with? What are we to put off here? Put off here. How many think that you're supposed to put off anger? Show of hands, show of hands. Okay, you're wrong. Sorry. I love it. You're supposed to put off sinful anger. You're supposed to put off sinful anger. You can crank me down just a tad now. Sorry, I'm going to be going back and forth a little bit. I'm sorry. Now it's bouncing off the back of my head here. Sinful anger. How many had sinful anger? Sinful anger? You do now. You said that. Okay, what are you to put on? What are we supposed to put on? What was that? Forgiveness. Okay, that's a good answer. What did you guys come up with? What's that? Edification. Those are good answers. Here's, here's what I put. All of your answers are wrong. I've got the right answer. I'm the teacher here. I'm, I'm kidding. No, you guys all had really good answers. I, I put it like this. Put off, keep short accounts. Or put on, I'm sorry. Put off sinful anger. Put on, keep short accounts. Because what does he say? Is that what you said? Yeah. Bob, you and I right here. Oh, you got my answers. How many have my answers? Some of you, if you go, if you go online, you already got the answers there. So don't go online. Let me have all the phones. Okay. So uh, keeping short accounts. Remember what he said before the sun sets. It's something that we don't often do. What's the third thing? 
Why do we want to do this? This is pretty, uh, pretty serious stuff. We do what? We give the devil a foothold. In fact, your answer to that is don't give the devil a foothold. Don't give the devil a foothold. So I mean, my, my translation doesn't use that, but it gives, give the devil an opportunity. Now think about this. I'm playing games in my small group. Somebody says something that I didn't like. It creates some, you know, some, uh, an offense, and then I offend them back, and then they offend me back, and it just creates this conflict, and I don't deal with it appropriately. Immediately, I've opened the door to the enemy, not only in my life, but in that small group and in the lives around me. I've given the devil a foothold. That's what he's talking about there. So let's talk a little bit about this idea of anger. And uh, here's what, what anger. Ooh. I heard that sound effect over here. I didn't sound like that. Listen to how that guy strains to get up there. He's so old. He's like 40 years ago. He graduated from high school. He can barely get up there. Okay, here we go. Where was I? Uh, Anger is energy aroused to defend something good and released to destroy something bad. So it's part of how God's wired us up. So it's released to arouse. It's, It's energy aroused to defend something good and released... To destroy something bad. Let's say someone breaks into my home and wants to uh, steal my wife. That would make me angry. And uh, so that anger, that would, that would be a good arousal of anger. And then I would want to go over and throw that guy through the front window or something. You know, you know or give him a little taste of uh, lead. Or something along those lines. Um, <laughs> I mean, so that would be appropriate anger, but, but oftentimes our anger, what arouses our anger is typically ego or pride or our agenda has been, you know, having to rearrange and, and, and those kind of things like that. And, and then we lash out at people and we use it in, in the direction in, in a way that we shouldn't. So it's what arouses it and how it is released that reveals whether it is sin So think about the last time you got angry. Everyone gets angry. Some of us are open in our aggression. Others of us are closed in our aggression. God has wired you up to get angry. What do you get angry angry about? And how do you direct that anger? It's appropriate. You need to learn how to channel that. What he's saying here is that because we get angry and, and then we lash out and then we don't respond appropriately, we don't keep short accounts, it opens the door for the enemy in our lives. Now, let me ask you another question here. Which one should make the first move in conflict resolution, the offender or the offended? How many would say the offended? How about the offender? How many would say both? You're right. In fact, the verses are right here. It says, first of all, 1 Peter 4, 8 says, love covers a multitude of sins. How many have found that some sins you just cover over because you love someone? Now, you've got to be careful that you're not enabling some form of dysfunction. It's never loving to allow someone to sin against you or allow them to sin, okay? So that, let's not talk about that kind of love that covers a multitude of sins. There's other sins and little things that we cover over, but certainly not the ones that, that are about abuse or, or major, you know, a lot of major sin that people are on a pattern that we need to help them 
to break in their lives. But Matthew 5, 21 and 26 talks about if we have offended someone, we go to them and talk to them. So, so if I know that I have offended you or if I feel that you've kind of got this closed spirit around me, I need to ask you, hey, did I say something or do something that would cause you to, to be kind of closed towards me? Because I've kind of sensed that you, you're not as open to me anymore. And man, I don't want anything to interfere with our relationship. That would be the, the, really the appropriate response. And you've got to be sensitive about that. And that's what Matthew 5, 21 through 26 talks about. Matthew 18, 15 through 17 says that if you have been offended, you go to your brother or sister and you talk to them. So, man, I, I was really offended by what you said in our small group the other night. Man, I can't get it out of my mind. I, I know you didn't mean anything by it, but, man, it really hurt me. And I don't know, maybe it's some stuff from my past that I haven't been able to work through. But, man, it really hurt. That's healthy. See, and that's that authenticity. That's that getting rid of the falsehood and speaking the truth. Because you're members. You don't want to dismember. You don't want to bring division. We need that community. That's what he's talking about here. So here's another thought as it relates to what we're talking about here, this, this sinful anger that's, that's unresolved, giving the devil a foothold. The past can't really affect us, but our present feelings about the past can and it's called baggage. It's a failure of letting the sun go down on our anger, giving the devil a foothold. So, you know in the prayer, in the Lord's Prayer, where it says, there's a section in the Lord's Prayer where he says, forgive us of our sins as we forgive others their sins. That's getting rid of the baggage. He's teaching us how to get rid of the baggage in that. He's saying, take the sins you have committed and the sins that have been committed against you and give them to the Lord. Get rid of that baggage, resolve it, work through it, move on with your life. Otherwise, we accumulate baggage. You get hurt growing up, you take that into the workplace, you get hurt in your workplace, you go to school, you get hurt there, and you can start accumulating that. You're going to be carrying around a lot of baggage. You're going to be one angry, bitter, poisoned person. You don't need that. You take a lot of hits in life. Those hits, if they're not resolved appropriately, you're going to carry that stuff around with you. And it's going to poison every relationship after that. That's what he's talking about here. And so you can see that it's out of our love for God as we walk with him. He's just wanting us to live healthy, strong. This is about spiritual holiness or, or wholeness. And... Uh, Okay, here's the next one. I'll deal, let's, we'll, we'll get to the, the middle group right here. Uh, let me read it. It's verse 28. Kind of already helped you out on that one, but verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Real quick, discuss it with the folks next to you. What do you put off, put on, and think differently? What are you supposed to do based on that verse? Real quick. Okay, you guys have the answer? What do you guys have? Let me come over here because I'm going to pick on these folks right up here. Who should I pick on here? Okay, here we go. What are you guys coming up with? What's the answer for put off? Just this section right here. Put off what? Put off stealing. Got it. Sean got it. Um, what are you supposed to put on? Honest, hard work. Yeah, be hardworking, honest, good, hardworking. It actually kind of tells us more real specific verse. It says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his hands. So he's saying, hey, it's got to be honest work. So it's interesting how it makes that clear. No selling drugs. Uh, 
none of that stuff. Yeah, but it's, it's hard. It's got to be honest. And then renewed thinking, why? What are you supposed to do so that you can? Why do we, why do we make money? Why do we, why do we stop stealing Start working so that we can start giving. Yeah, you make more money so that you can give. It's about giving more. It's not raising your standard of living, but raising your standard of giving. That's what he's saying. I mean, he's, if you were to read this accurately, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need so that you, we, make, we make money so that we can give. We can be not a reservoir of resources, but a, a river, a channel. Because that's why God blesses us, so that we can be a blessing. So let me ask you a couple questions here. Did everybody get that? You guys tracking with me? Okay, I'm looking at everybody right here. I just want to make sure everybody's still awake over here. We caught a couple folks sleeping in the first service. I'm not going to let you sleep on me this morning. Okay. Dave, wake up. Dave, are you, you awake, Dave? Yeah, he's awake. Wipe the drool off the side of your mouth right there. Okay. So let me ask you this question. Everybody look right here. Is it, would it be considered, uh, is it being lazy on the job, is being lazy on the job a form of stealing? Would you guys agree with that? How about being lazy in a family? Is that a form of stealing when the, when the kids don't do their chores and things like that? Praise God. Yes, it is. That's stealing. That's what I've been trying to tell my kids. Okay. How many parents would agree with that? That's stealing. You're ripping this family off. How many would agree within a community that that's a form of stealing if you're not contributing and helping out out within a community? Would you agree with that? How about a church community? Is being lazy in a church community a form of stealing? Not as many going like this right now. Some of you are going like, hmm, no, I don't think so. Honey, how much have we been doing and giving around here? Not much? No, I don't think that's stealing. Not at all. It's okay just to show up and do nothing. Actually, it isn't. That's a form of stealing. That's what he's talking about there. So we've got records of everybody's giving. I didn't say this in the first service, but I just thought I would just let you know that I go through the records because there's... No, I don't actually, but... I'm I'm just having some fun with you. But uh, this is actually between you and the Lord because I don't go through the records. That's between you and God and and, uh, and everything that you do and all your time. And there is what he's saying here is don't just be a consumer and a taker. Live a purposeful, productive life. So stealing, put off stealing, put on working. Live a purposeful, productive life. Be a contributor. Be a giver. Many mess, uh, best-selling books offer advice on how to get the most out of life That's not the reason God made you. You were created out of a heart that's full of his grace to overflow that grace into your local church community like Desert Breeze, in the community where you live, in your family. God has blessed you to be a blessing. You were created not to just consume resources, but to make a contribution with your life. There's some verses here that I I gave you to think about So, I mean, that's certainly a question you want to ask. And by the way, let me just say that this church would not exist, we would have not existed for 20 years if it hadn't been for folks like yourselves who have given faithfully and consistently for the last 20 years to watch us together impact a lot of folks' lives. We couldn't do it. We wouldn't be able to be be doing the negotiating that we're currently doing in the purchase of this building if it hadn't been for many of you that have sacrificially given to the Dare You to Move campaign. 
Your children are being watched by faithful servants of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This would not happen right now if it wasn't for their faithful. And many of you help out in that too and you take your turns and, and faithfully serve. I thank you very much for that. I thank you for your generosity. I thank you for your giving. It's making an impact on people's lives. That's what God has called you to do. There's an amazing blessing in that. Paul, in talking to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians, in, in motivating them to give, he did not work on their will, he did not work on their emotion, but this is what he said in 2 Corinthians 8 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is what he's saying. Think about what Jesus did for you, and then out of that, you will be unbelievably generous. See, if you're not very generous, the, the, the thing is that me coming in and beating you up over your lack of generosity and trying to get you to give out of fear and pride is, is not biblical. It's not until you begin to have a heart that's ravished by the beauty of Jesus and your heart is filled up with him, and that's when you become generous as a result of that. And so the, the idolatry here, if you're very stingy, it could be money, it could be greed, it could be any number of things uh, in that. I mean, you can steal in a lot of different ways. You can steal as a, as a mechanic, as an auto mechanic, you know, working on someone's car because you, you oversell product. Why would someone do that, by the way? That really ticks me off, too. How many have ever been ripped off by a mechanic or somebody and then you only found out later that this guy, you didn't have to have all of the extra parts that they added on? It's, I mean, that's, some of it, you know, can have righteous indignation in that and, and not take your car to him anymore or go confront him over those issues and talk to him about it. Or it might even... Have to go another route, you know, through, uh, through the manager of the organization. I mean, whatever it might be. But the fact is, is that that happens. But why would someone do that? Anybody? It's greed. It's the idolatry of greed and insecurity. They're feeling like, and maybe the, it, money has significance also to them. But they're not trusting God, obviously, to meet their needs. It's a, it's a failure to trust God. So it's another form of idolatry. So Paul works on them, not on their will or in their emotion, but in their heart. And then in the chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, he says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. He's almost saying, man, when you give, you're sowing a seed, and there's a crop that comes as a result of that. God is going to bless you even more as you continue to be a, a river of blessing to others. Now, check this out. He says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a what kind of giver? cheerful literally the word is hilarious isn't that funny it's just like some of you just laughed when i said that <laughs> i get to give <laughs> yeah that's great why would someone do that some of you are going that's weird no it isn't when you know jesus if you know him and you've experienced his love and you know what he has for you in store for you man you're just going to go wow i'm looking for another opportunity to give that's what he's saying that's what, that's what turns you into this person that, that you put off stealing, you put on working, purposeful, productive life. Okay, here's the next one. We got two more. And so verses 29 through 30, we'll, uh, we'll grab the, uh, all the group right back here. You guys need to discuss this. Everybody needs to discuss it. But verses 29 through 30, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
There you have it. Discuss it with the folks sitting around you real quick. What do you put off? What do you put on? And what should be your renewed thinking as a result of that? You guys are awfully quiet over here. You guys discussing it? Some of you just woke up. Okay, here we go. What are we supposed to put off? What are we supposed to put off? Bad tongue. Good. That's a, that's a good way to put it. I put hurtful talk. What are we supposed to put on? Encouraging talk. Yeah, help, helpful talk. So we put off hurtful talk. We put on helpful talk. Why should we do that? What's the renewed thinking? He says it in verse, in verse 30. It's a big, it's a big one. It's, it's to, it, the reason is that we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. Did you see that? Verse 30. That grieves the Holy Spirit. Think about it. When I'm talking trash to you and I'm not giving grace, I'm just talking some smack, whatever it is, I'm not building you up. It's not an access. It doesn't give the Holy Spirit opportunity to work in your life through my life. It grieves the Holy Spirit. It breaks God's heart. Because we're using our tongue, we're using our lives in a way that's inappropriate. We're being hurtful. We're not building people up and helping them to be stirred up to want to know Jesus. We're just making it all about us. By the way, you can see the progression in this. So if I'm playing the game of falsehood, pretense, I get hurt. I've got sinful anger. It's unresolved. I'm going to start withdrawing from you. I'm not going to give and help people out. Those people, they can do their own thing. That creates that attitude. There's where the stealing comes in. And then immediately I'm going to have hurtful talk. I'm going to have things that are going to be coming out of my mouth because of what's in my heart. And in fact, let me give you a few thoughts on that. Your words are a window into your heart. I'm not just talking about the words that you speak, but I'm also talking about your self-talk. If you were to listen to what you are saying to yourself, that will give you an indication of what's going on in your heart. Now, I usually don't know that until my wife points it out to me because I'm letting it come out this way. Get out of the way, you idiot. What's wrong with you? Don't you know how to drive? My wife goes, what? Nothing. <laughs> um, I don't really notice it until she points it out. She goes, wow, everything cool? No, yeah, everything's cool. Get off my back. Um, Obviously, things aren't cool. No, they are cool. You're always asking me if everything's cool. What do you want? It's like, okay, right there, dude. You hear yourself? No, I don't. Get off my back. See, there's a lot of, there's a lot of junk there when someone starts having that kind of an attitude. Don't tell me what to do. It's hurtful talk. That's hurtful talk when you start lashing out like that. There's something in your heart. See, and God's saying, hey, look at, take a look at your heart. You got some unresolved. You're carrying around baggage. You got baggage. There's no need to do that. You got baggage in your heart. You're carrying around a bunch of stuff. It's weighing you down. I know you've been hurt, but God wants to heal us of those things. And so your words are a window into your heart. Harsh words tells you that you have an angry heart. Negative words, fearful heart. Overactive words, Unsettled heart, boasting words, insecure heart, filthy words, impure heart, critical words, bitter heart. They've done all kinds of research. Scientists would say, if you were to go to JCL or Arrowhead and walk into 25 rooms, and when you walked into that room and said, wow, you're not looking very good, 
And you did that to 25 patients. And if you were a friend of theirs and you said that, and then you went to 25 other patients, and in those rooms when you walked in, it says, man, you're really looking much better than I anticipated. You're really looking good. They said there's a major difference between the outcome of those two groups of people. Those that had the negative words, they actually don't do as well as those that have had the positive words. Just their friends and family coming in and giving them encouraging words makes a difference in their life. The research makes that very clear. That's why the Bible has said all along, Proverbs 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. You can bring life, you can bring death into your home, into your relationships, into your small group by your tongue. That's why it grieves the Holy Spirit. It breaks the heart of God that it would be so destructive that we would use what he has given to us rather than to glorify him and to praise his name. We would use it to to bring people down and to devastate people. And people have been known to commit suicide. And if you were to find out why, it was because of the self-talk that had come their way through what people had said to them throughout their life and they could not handle it. Here's another Proverbs 12, 18. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Oh my goodness. That God would use you and I to bring to bring words of healing and exaltation to our Savior and to our King that hearts would be stirred up. There would be an appetite within people after they had conversation with you that they would want the God that you know, that you love, that you follow. You could stir that up within them through your words. So our words tell us a lot. Here's the last one. We'll, we'll uh, ask right there, this smaller group right here. It's the last one, and it's verses 31 through 32. This is where we finish up. And it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Verse 32, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Okay, what are we supposed to put off? What are we supposed to put on? And then what are we supposed to, how are we supposed to think differently? Okay, discuss it real quick. With the people sitting next to you, what are you guys? What are you guys figuring out there? Real quick. You'll notice these get a little more complicated as we work through them. This is like like a small group here this morning as we kind of have worked through these. Okay, did you guys, anybody come up with, what did you guys come up with right here? What are we supposed to put off? We're supposed to put off rage and anger. Good, good answer. Hate, okay, that's a good answer. I put unforgiveness, unforgiveness, and that goes along with rage, hang, anger, hate. That's all forgi- unforgiveness. What are we to put on? What's the opposite of unforgiveness? Forgiveness, okay, we put on forgiveness. Check this out. If you don't get this, you're not going to learn how to forgive. Here's the bottom line of forgiveness. Renewed thinking because Christ forgave you. It's that last verse, last part, verse 30, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That is, that's big. That's amazing. So, so can you see the progression? Now we work through this progression, put off, put on think differently. And so it begins here with falsehood. We play games with one another. This turns into, I get offended. I have some sinful anger. 
I'm going to withhold from you. That's stealing. Got hurtful talk coming out of my mouth. And now I'm going to be unforgiving. It's called bitterness. And God wants to change that in our lives and our relationships. Because when we walk with him and know him and experience Christ in our life, it's going to make a difference in how we respond and how we do life. And that's why he said in verse uh, verse 17 that you should no longer walk as unbelievers do. And so let me, let me finish with a story, and I'm going to give you a few thoughts on this whole idea of unforgiveness. You need to get this. If you haven't gotten anything, you've got to get this. Because this is going to take a load of baggage off of your life if you can understand these next few points. There's a story found in, it's one of the cross-references I gave you. It's found in uh, chapter 18 of Matthew. It's called the parable of the unforgiving servant. It goes like this, starting in verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? In other words, how how often should I forgive someone that keeps sinning against me? As many as seven times? He's thinking that, wow, that's a lot. Seven times? I'm going to forgive him seven times. And this is what Jesus says. You guys remember how Jesus responded? Jesus said, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. In other words, unlimited amount of times you are to live a life of forgiveness you are to never be unforgiving and then he goes on with this story and he says this therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants and when he began to settle one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents this represents about 20 years worth of wages that's a lot of money how many would like to have 20 years worth of wages in your bank account right now I would. That would be wonderful. But that's what he owed the king. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. hundred denarii is one day's wages. So you're talking 20 years worth of wages. He owed owed the master, the king, and this guy owed him one day's wages. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers, literally tormentors. That's what bitterness does. It torments you until he should pay all his debt. So also, now check this out. This is, this is pretty troubling, last part of this. He says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Here's the point. Everybody look up here. This is what you've got to get. You've got to understand To be unforgiving is a contradiction to Christ's behavior toward you. An unforgiving heart 
is evidence of an unforgiven heart. You have yet to fully receive God's forgiveness for you because if you had, you would have a forgiving heart. Bitterness is the replaying of your grievances to to the person, to others, to yourself, actively wanting their hurt. If you have a grudge, it's because you don't trust the eternal judge. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Here's what I've helped me to get through sometimes, really, the, the unforgiveness in my own heart, besides of what God has done for me, is this. If you knew what God had in store to the unrepentant perpetrators of harm in your life, you would pity them. Resentment is like taking poison and hoping the other person dies. St. Augustine. Hebrews 12, 15, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Here's the bottom line. This is where we're going to wrap it up. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing a song. I'm going to, this is how I would wrap all these verses up. You are never more like Jesus than when you are giving and forgiving. That's really what all these are talking about. If you're not a radical giver and forgiver, You're either not a Christian or you don't know who you are in Christ yet. It's how indispensable and costly his sacrifice on the cross was for you that turns you into a radical giver and forgiver for him. Bow your heads with me. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives. You're doing a deep work. It's an amazing work. We need the work in our lives. We want to learn how to put off the old, put on the new, and be renewed in our thinking. We want to experience the wholeness, the healthiness the holiness that you invite us into as a result of our our knowing you and experiencing you. God, help us to be reminded that sin is what we do when we're not satisfied with you and that, God, you are most glorified in us. It's what we were created for is to give glory to you, to live for your glory, and you are most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in you. So teach us how we can be more and more satisfied in you. In every area of our lives, we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Would you stand with me? Let's sing this song. Sing it from your heart. Let's celebrate his goodness for us.